Coming to you live from nowhere, Michigan, performed in front of a studio audience of a couple misbehaving cats. This is Emo Town. Okay, so this evening we had the Wizards in town. And, uh, you know, it's always when you're playing a team like the Wizards, playing any team toward the bottom of the league. You're a little bit torn between wanting a victory because that's what we want as fans. We want to see our team win. I don't care if it's the middle of the tank. I don't care if we're uh, fading for Cade. I don't. I don't care if we're playing Moldy for Mobley. Uh, I, I really don't care what we're doing. I know that at every moment, in the moment, if you asked me. The Pistons are down six in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, well, hey, man, uh, I thought you wanted the team to lose. No, I don't want the team to lose. I want the team to win. So, in the moment, you want victory. It's, it's the hardest part about being a fan in a season where you know that the goal is to lose. It's it, the goal is to lose correctly. The goal is to be in every single game so that we're not learning bad habits. Uh, young guys need to learn how to win. I, I've said that probably too many times now on the podcast to the point where anybody who listens often knows that this is how I feel. But we're still hoping for first-time listeners here in uh, full episode number seven of the Emo Town podcast. We're still hoping for new listeners. We're still pretty young. So I'll tell you right now, uh, just in case that's, that's you, I, I want to lose, but I don't want to lose by 20 all the time, and I don't want to lose with guys making dumb plays bonehead plays. I want a guy who needs to work on his three-point jumper taking rhythm open three-point shots in a game that matter to the game so that he can mentally work his way into hitting that shot. He might miss it, that's part of losing. That's part of being a losing team, a developing team. But you're not going to develop shit if you don't try, right? So that's why I don't. I get a little bit frustrated by uh, you see some takes, some fan takes. And again, I'm a fan. That's all I really am. So that's who I kind of interact with. I don't sit here and 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 try to pontificate that the Omari Sankofas of the world or that the James Edwards of the world or whatever, that, that, they, that these guys are wrong. I don't find myself disagreeing with them too often. They, they're, they're beat writers, so with the exception of, of James gets a little bit more adventurous with some of his takes. For the most part, a beat writer's going to toe a certain line in my experience of, of getting newspapers and reading the sports section and reading about my favorite teams. These guys that cover the team in an official capacity for a big publication are generally a little bit 
safer with some of their takes. But you see fan takes that basically say that the team plays too hard and is too, when they play hard like that, too capable of, of beating the worst teams in the league and even some of the best teams in the league. They're too capable of winning at the level that they play at. But if you don't have guys that need to work on something, working on that something at the peril of their own success throughout the game, you're not going to develop anything. And Yeah, these guys practice... Yes, they, it isn't like it's 2K and you got to do well in the game to get your, your, your VC to, to spend on your basketball skills. It ain't like that. They, they, there's more to it than just playing in the game. But playing in the game is a very significant mental, there's a, there's a mental portion of playing in the game that can only be worked on and practiced and honed by playing in the game. And that's where I get a little bit frustrated with just fans that want to lose by 20 every night. Not only does that suck to watch, but like, who's benefiting from that other than a potential of adding another young player to a dysfunctional group with no belief in themselves and no idea how to win. So as a fan that wants to get a good draft pick, that wants to have either Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green or Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham, kind of in reverse order, uh, in town, I want to get a top four pick, preferably number one, so that we can get whoever Troy Weaver believes is the best player for this project. But, you know, you want a top four pick. Because this year, I, I think that the top... I, there's a lot of people who think there might be ten guys in this draft that are going to very significantly affect the franchise that they get drafted to, to varying degrees, from could be a superstar, to could be an all-star. There's like 10 of those guys, some people think. So it's a good draft to, to end up in the top 10, but this, that's, the, that's the, the, the thing that keeps happening to the, the Pistons over and over and over and over again is we end, up, we end up with the 7th pick, we end up with the ninth pick, we end up with the 10th pick. The guy we get in some of those cases is actually better than people thought he would be. Case in point, Andre Drummond. He was either he was drafted in that re, in that range. It might have been as late as eleven. It's I don't have it in front of me, and it was so long ago now. But he was drafted between eight and eleven. I'm pretty sure. And there was some head scratching going on. There was some people who didn't know how good he would really be. And there's a lot of, and I have said myself that Andre Drummond isn't as good as some people, some Pistons fans make him out to be. But he also certainly isn't as bad, right? Like, there's there's no way he's as bad as some Pistons fans make him out to be either. So, uh, 
and, and, and we get those guys. But then there's also the, the Stanley Johnsons and, 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 in my opinion, the Kentavious Caldwell Pope type picks where, where you have like a KCP who maybe turns out to be exactly what he should have been for his draft position. And then you have a guy like Stanley Johnson who I feel like I still have piles and piles and piles of Stanley Johnson stock shoved in a drawer somewhere that I'm hoping eventually is, you know, worth something. But it doesn't seem like that's happening. And so you don't want to be in that position, even if the, the, the narrative is that this year, if you wound up in that position, you'd still be adding a pretty damn good player. Uh, no thanks. I, I would like to add the premier player, of which I believe there are five. It's just that one of them I have... I have less of a easy time believing fits here, right? And Jonathan Kaminga. I Kaminga I I think is a, a really cool player to watch and I think he'll be a good NBA player. Um, I'm not trying to be low on him in any sort of way. That's that's not the goal here. It's just when you look at you got Sadiq Bay, right now you have Jeremy Grant. Right now, Seka Dumbuya is still on the team. Hamadou Diallo is on the team. Josh Jackson is on the team. Uh, and, and, and all of these guys could be moved. We got Trader Troy as our GM, so, you know, anybody could be moved. But all those guys seem to be a more direct block on Jonathan Kaminga than they do on Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, or Cade Cunningham. And that's really what it comes down to. To me, those guys are the easiest to slot into the team as it is presently constructed. Not that there aren't problems. There's problems literally with every single one of those guys if you believe in the pieces that are currently on the team. You shouldn't believe in them so much that you aren't interested in adding one of those four. I don't care how much... I love Saban Lee. I love him. He played great tonight. Excellent in the Washington game. Didn't have his highest scoring game, but he just... He look, He started... He looks like a professional basketball player out there. He doesn't look like a second-round pick that's on technically a two-way contract. Saban Lee could, I don't think it'll happen, and I do believe that at some point in time this year he will be offered an NBA contract because I think his two-way days are running low. Like the, the number of games he has left that he can play in the NBA for the Detroit Pistons on his current deal. I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy with all the COVID stuff and how that has changed things, but I do believe we're running, it's, they're numbered. They're still numbered, and he's played a lot already. So I think eventually at some point in time this season, he will get an NBA contract from the Detroit Pistons. But if he doesn't, he can refuse the Pistons' offer in the offseason, go be a free agent, and see what somebody else wants to give him. That scares the shit out of me. Thank, frankly, it should scare the shit out of you. 
Because that's the kind of thing that happens. If you're a Pistons fan, you know that that's the kind of thing that happens to us. It's just, you don't want to be boo-hoo and all that, but this is emo town, and we're going to get a little emo. If we lose Saban Lee the way that we have lost so many other second-round picks that really had something... Man, I thought I was gonna have something. Some oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn my 04 championship newspaper or whatever. But I don't have any of that stuff, and and wouldn't do that anyways. But I'd be really up. I'd be really upset. That's what it comes down to. I. And you all know, you all know what I'm going through and what I'm feeling right now. There's this. I never would give up on the team. I never would not be a Pistons fan anymore. That's not really in my in my blood. I'm not capable. But we we could lose him. We could lose Saban Lee. It could happen. It could happen and it would just be it'd just be fitting for the last 10, 12 years. So, obviously, I'm a bit of two minds about the about the win against Washington. Uh, on one hand, that's going to hurt draft position, potentially. Uh, on the other hand, I like to see the team win. And I have a couple of thoughts about some things we saw during the game. Uh, Josh, Josh Jackson, he had 19 in the first half. And then really close to the end of the first half came down from a layup attempt or something. And I think it was near Rui Hachimura, but it might have been might have been somebody else. Might have been Gafford or something. Uh, either way, um, rolled his ankle. Dude rolled his ankle and had to come out of the game. There wasn't a lot of time left in the first half, so... I can't say that he missed any significant playing time in the first half, but I, I honestly, he came back out and I think he had 10 points, 10 points in the second half. Didn't play a whole lot. He came right out though after halftime. And I was very concerned that the dude just can't catch a break and has followed up every excellent performance he's had this season, either with an injury to himself that has caused him to lose time or somebody else follows that up with either a, a just streaky performance shooting in the second half and keeps him on the bench, or maybe the second, the next game and breaks up his momentum. I feel like he's had just such a seesaw season that I'm, I'm beginning to really feel bad for the dude. He had a season high. He had 29, I think. 29, maybe 31. His career high was 35 or 36. I feel like he was well on pace for that. Um, I mean, statistically, with 19 in the first half, he was on pace to break that. But just the way he was playing, it looked like he could go out and get, you know, 25 in the second half. And 
turn himself in a nice 40-plus point game. That's what it really looked like. And I don't know if the – I think it was, it was likely that it was a combination of rolling the ankle and the game never really being in doubt past a certain point that, that kept him on the bench. Obviously, he played a bit in the second half. Ankle's probably fine. But between the two, if I was the coach, if I was the guy who had any part of that decision, and it came down to me like, oh, he can go, how much do you want to play him? Just enough. Just enough to keep his confidence up and, and, and not, to, not to re-injure it, not to take any risks in a game that we technically maybe don't want to win from uh, as far as the standings are concerned. Uh, and certainly a game that isn't isn't really in doubt. We aren't going to play the guy, but uh, but yeah, those that that was my big takeaway from the Washington game. Um, really odd that we didn't see. I, we saw a lot of Tyler Cook. Little bit of complaint about that on Twitter. Uh, people wish that they had seen Sekudumbuya instead in some of those minutes. I can't say I don't understand, but like let's not. Let's not turn our noses up at, at Tyler Cook. That's a good player. If Tyler can stick with an NBA team for a season, the way that uh, Christian Wood eventually stuck with us and stuck in our rotation, I'm not not saying he's going to have that type of a a turnaround or that type of a breakout, but... This is a guy who's played for five different G League teams or something like that. And I really think that all he all he really needs is a chance to stick on one actual NBA roster to prove that he belongs in the league and, and, and maybe even even find a home in that one place. Uh, so let's not get too upset about Tyler Cook. I like the way he handles the ball. He reminds me a lot. Uh, I kind of did a little bit of a preview of him when I'd only seen some highlights and about 10 minutes of on-court basketball play in a Pistons uniform from him, and it seemed like he he brought a lot of the same special things for a big man that, that Mason Plumlee brings with a little bit of ball handling, better ball handling than Plumlee, to be honest with you, uh, some passing, some court awareness, not a lot of... Uh, See, like, Casey seems to say a lot of good things about Tyler Cook's defense. Obviously, the effort is there. So, I, I I didn't think coming in he had much of a reputation as a defensive player. Um, the the What I had read suggested that he was a good on-ball defender, down low or even out on the edge. Pretty good on-ball defender, fairly decent in the pick on-ball parts of the pick-and-roll, but not a very good team defender and will often find himself in the wrong spot on the basketball court on defense uh, during you know times where there's heavy rotation from the offense where they're passing the ball around a lot. He's an easy player to pull out of position. He often finds himself out of position. Um, that was the rub. Dwayne Casey certainly seems to be praising his intensity, his defensive commit level. Um, so I, I, 
hey, I want Seku to play two. I want Seku to be a good player. I have, at the beginning of the podcast, and even before I was doing podcasts and when I was just talking to my friends, I've I've been very high on, on Seku's potential and, and what he could be. So, I want him to play. I want him to play. I want him to succeed. I don't really understand why he doesn't play more. Somebody who doesn't play a lot, who did get a decent amount of run at the end of that Washington game, though, uh, Davidas Servitas got three and a half minutes or something like that to go out there and play. He hit a three. He made a couple of good passes. And he looked like he knew what he was doing on defense a little bit. He grabbed a rebound. When is it Dave time? Like, when is Dave time coming? I feel like it's got to get here eventually. They gave him a guaranteed NBA contract. That might have been something to do with his draft process or trade the process of acquiring his rights after the uh, after he was drafted that maybe they couldn't put him on a two-way deal like they did with Saban Lee or maybe at the time the NBA hadn't expanded how many two-way players you could have during COVID yet I don't know I don't know why exactly he's on a guaranteed NBA contract but he's on a guaranteed NBA contract I would like to see him play. The Pistons don't have shooting. They don't have shooting the way that they have some other things. I'd like to see the dude play. My hope is that he's working extensively in practice with Wayne Ellington and, and really learning that come off a screen and fire kind of mentality and role that Wayne has had this season. Uh, and that it's not just Frank Jackson who's auditioning for those minutes, who I will say again, Frank Jackson is, he's hes fun to watch and he's awesome on offense, but the defensive at six foot two, I think he is, for a shooting guard, his defensive ceiling, it's automatically capped at a low place. And I don't know that his offensive ability is high enough to overcome that the way it is with uh, some other undersized shooting guards that you see in the league. Uh, He could catch on potentially as a backup point guard if we didn't have 14 of those on the roster anyways already. So, uh, but it was, he had a good game though. He played really well, had a couple nice three pointers, had a really nice drive where he threw a layup really high off the glass over somebody and I mean really high off the glass and it fell back down and it was uh I let out an audible woo when I saw it happen um so it's not that I don't like the guy but I'd rather see Davidas Servitas playing those minutes Davidas is on a guaranteed contract he is supposedly a part of the team Every time I see him play in any kind of more than 90 seconds, which has only happened a couple of times this season, he looks a little bit like a rookie, but 
he doesn't look so lost that there's just this obvious excuse for why we're playing guys like Frank Jackson instead. Um, but yeah, you know, fun to beat Washington. Fun to be up by 30 in the fourth quarter. Like, that's fun. That's fun. I had a good time with it. Uh, but, you know, it's not lost on me that that's potentially bad for the future. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite us. Seriously, you drafted a man whose last name is French for duck. Okay, so thanks for hanging out with me while I talked about the Wizards game and, and made processing all that with me. We're gonna, we got another episode that's coming out pretty much immediately that takes a bit more of a macro look at the team and, and where it's at right now and where I think it might be going forward just based on everything that happened at the trade deadline and how certain guys look and certain things that have been said about uh, certain players and what their future role might be. And we're going to answer some questions from the Motor City Hoops podcast, who are a great group of guys that have an awesome podcast and are really good follow on Twitter at Motor City Hoops. Uh, we got a question from them that we're going to talk about a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, so it's going to be an awesome episode. Look forward to that. Probably as soon as you get done listening to this, that'll already be up.